0: despite the Apollo program being one of the largest most expensive and most public undertakings in human history for nearly 60 years a once small but ever-growing dedicated group of conspiracy theorists have maintained that the whole endeavor was in fact an elaborate hoax while anyone with a passing knowledge of history and conspiracies should be able to recognize these claims as total nonsense they have gained a surprising amount of traction with a 2005 poll revealing that nearly 25 percent of Americans aged 18 to 25 doubt that humans had ever walked on the moon. yep one in four despite living in an era when humans have access to more information than ever showing that we did in fact land on the moon
1: hello everyone that was the voice of youtube educator simon whistler on his today i found out channel the clip is taken from the start of a half hour presentation debunking the conspiracy theory that the six seemingly successful moon landings were actually faked right here on Earth. Simon expresses the necessary level of contempt required when discussing this nonsense. Moon landing conspiracies have been topical lately, at least in some of the circles I move in, due to the founder of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, Richard Gage, being asked his opinion of them, along with other famous conspiracy theories, on the Valuetainment show, Let's listen to that segment.
2: So, before we ask you all these questions, I have some questions for you to see where you stand. Okay. Uh, some people, your critics, call you conspiracy theorists. Okay. That's what they say. So, you know, why don't we cover some of the, you know, biggest conspiracy theories of all time and let's see what you say about them. Okay. Where okay. you stand with them. All right. Uh, flat Earth Theory. What do you think about it?
3: I don't know. I haven't looked at that. I've heard about it.
2: Okay. But you think Earth is uh, round or flat? Well,
3: I don't know. I haven't seen it uh, other than what's been shown to us on the on the television. So, what do I know?
2: So oh, that's 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 a st- that answer is still not a certain answer. We know plenty to know that the Earth is round, but okay, Fine, Well, that's going. what we learned in school, and that's what I accept. So you accept that the Earth is round? Why not?
0: Uh, sorry, sir. <laughs> You're. <laughs> You're, I don't know. You don't know that the earth is round? And that it's that's not what flat? I've
3: learned. That's what I've been educated. But when you learn the truth about what happened at the World Trade Center mm-hmm. and that the government and the media have been lying about it, I don't trust anything I've learned in my history books Fine, because I've great. looked at some of the things that are lies in our history. And I'm questioning everything at this point.
2: Fine. Let's go to the next. Got one. it. Okay. Okay uh uh the death of princess diana was it an inside job what do you I, think i don't know okay you also I, don't know that. okay apollo moon landing did it happen
3: i don't know about that either
2: okay do you, are you like what percentage skeptical are you with that one
3: I, i'm skeptical about everything we've been okay. taught by the media and our government and our education you seem system. like the
2: type of guy that would be curious to do a lot of uh, you know investigations research due diligence like for me i was fascinated with the jfk assassination i wonder what happened mm-hmm. so i've interviewed god knows how many people on that topic uh, what do you think happened with JFK assassination? I
3: have serious reservations about the truth, uh, about about what we've been told about the JFK assassination, too. I mean, I've seen, I've seen lots of videos on that one, so I'm highly skeptical.
2: Highly skeptical of what of the, they said of, happened.
3: Yeah, the official narrative. Okay,
1: cool. Valutainment has a substantial audience. At the time I'm recording, Richard Gage's interview has over 420,000 views on YouTube. So this represents a bit of a moment in the sun for a 9-11 truth movement increasingly relegated in the post-COVID era. The show host, Patrick Bett david points out that the terrorist attacks didn't even warrant front-page coverage on their anniversary this year in the New York Times. Richard Gage's answers drew criticism from 9-11 truthers who feel the movement should always attempt to distance itself from irresponsible fringe conspiracy theories. Ironically, of course, plenty of anti-war activists distance themselves from 9-11 truth for exactly this same reason, so where you draw the line is rarely clear. In saying that, I'm not suggesting you shouldn't draw a line. It seems to me that without placing some constraints on what is possible, we cannot make any affirmative statements about the nature of our world. Perhaps it is good and healthy to periodically audit our beliefs by removing those constraints, but to do so permanently is to descend into psychosis. Conspiracy-induced psychosis seems to be a very real problem. Just ask Alex Jones. To get specific regarding the objections to Richard's comments, I seriously doubt there's anyone in the 9-11 truth movement who doesn't suspect foul play in the Kennedy assassination. Foul play beyond... Oswald's, that is. There's probably ignorance or agnosticism regarding the death of Princess Diana, but I don't think conspiracies around this are things we're expected to disavow. What drew criticism was Richard's failure to disavow both the flat earth and moon landing conspiracies. These are considered by many to be over the line into the lunatic fringe. I won't be discussing the former of these today. Fascinating as I find the philosophy and symbolism of the flat Earth, my interest stops there. I'm not in the least bit surprised that people find the whole notion utterly ridiculous and discrediting by association. With the moon landings, however, I'm not so sure. It seems strange to me that throughout all human history, if anyone had told you man had been to the moon, you'd have been a gullible fool to believe them. That position completely reversed on July 20 of 1969, when all of a sudden you'd be a gullible fool not to believe them, deserving of the kind of invective you heard Simon Whistler pour out. Is it really that obvious we went to the moon? Well, one person that thinks so is David Chandler. David is a physicist and prominent member of the nine eleven Truth Movement. I've interviewed him on this channel before, regarding his work on the collapse of the Twin Towers and Building 7, which he contends were all brought down by controlled demolitions. In response to Richard Gage's Valuetainment appearance, David co-authored an article with Don Davis, unambiguously titled, We Went to the Moon. Much like Simon Whistler, David and Don opened their piece by lamenting the ever-increasing number of people who believe the Apollo landings were a hoax. They speculate that this trend is set to increase. I think this is certainly true, and runs in stark contrast to most conspiracy theories. The attacks of September 11th do not loom as large in the collective psyche as they once did. With the reported assassination of Ayman al-Sawahiri, Al-Qaeda went out not with a bang, but a whimper. Nobody really cared. One day, the assassination of John F. Kennedy will feel as remote to us as that of Winley McKinley. Can you remember who shot McKinley? Interest in specific conspiracies obviously tends to decrease with distance from the event. New generations of people come along who just don't think about these things any longer. Look up at the sky, however, and there she is, the moon, looking down, inviting awe and wonder at the thought men have walked upon her surface. Or cynicism, at the thought that they have not. This cynicism must increase with time. I don't believe anyone in 1972, coming off the back of six successful missions in just over three years, would countenance that 50 years later not only would we never have gone back, but all talk of return makes it sound like a distant goal. Maybe they really were an artefact of the Nixon-Kissinger era. A wagging of the moon doggy, as Dave McGowan termed it in his famous book. A cinematic distraction from the horrors of the Vietnam War. One of those grand national unification projects America needs from time to time, with the added bonus of forming the Russians in the eye too. David Chandler and Don Davis say no. It really happened. Whatever other evils the US government was up to at the time or since, whatever propaganda value they served up, however distrustful we generally should be about US government pronouncements, on this occasion, they are telling the truth. I'm going to run through their article. They make three technical claims, then there's an underpinning philosophical approach to look at, and finally, I'll make an assessment as to whether the piece achieves its goals. Spoiler alert, I contend it doesn't. I'm hoping this is somewhat informative about the moon landings, but maybe more so about the nature of knowledge and how we address these divisive questions. David and Don do not deal with the positive evidence the moon landings were faked. Rather, they present three pieces of what they consider to be the strongest affirmative evidence that men went there. Their view is that if this evidence proves the Apollo missions were real, then all the objections simply become anomalies in need of explanation. They begin with moon rocks. David and Don point out that all six successful Apollo missions returned with samples of lunar rock. Whilst it's true that three Russian and one Chinese probes have also brought samples home from the Moon, the difference in quantity is massive. Apollo 11 managed just over 20 kilograms of rock, whilst Apollo 17 brought over 100 kilos back. By contrast, the four unmanned probes brought just over 2 kilos in total. Dave and Don also point out the variety of rock acquired by the Apollo missions was much greater, especially after using the lunar rover to explore more of the terrain. They describe the rock as being distinct from Earth rocks, saying that they have transformed our understanding of the early Earth and the planetary system as a whole. I'll now contrast these claims with those made in the documentary film American Moon, which holds the Apollo program to be a hoax.
2: Okay, now... You think you can
4: chip off the... Uh... Another piece of evidence for the lunar landings often mentioned is the moon rocks. All those samples of rocky material that the astronauts allegedly brought back to Earth from their missions to the moon. Being composed of different material than the Earth, claim the debunkers, these rocks are the tangible proof that man went to the moon. From the debunking site Clavius, we can read... The lunar surface samples returned by the Apollo missions are considered by many to be the most compelling evidence that the missions were authentic. On its own website, NASA writes, Moon rocks and common sense prove Apollo astronauts really did visit the moon. In reality, these alleged moon rocks by themselves don't prove anything. Even accepting that their composition is different from that of the Earth, we must remember that many meteorites originating from the moon have been retrieved in Antarctica. Well, I got a phone call once, a fellow at the Smithsonian, and he said, Jerry, we have now a meteorite which I just brought back from Antarctica, which is from the moon. The whole assembly of scientists attacked this object, and at the end of a year and a half, the conclusion was it was a moon rock. It was unambiguously a moon rock. And it's certainly a curious coincidence that Werner von Braun and some of his NASA colleagues visited Antarctica in 1967, exactly one year before the beginning of the Luna missions. As stated by the New World Encyclopedia, the expedition was one of the first to systematically search the ice surface for meteorites, believed to originate from the Moon, for later use as a reference material. Nothing forbids that this reference material could have been later used as original after the Apollo missions. Furthermore, it is possible that the diversity of the lunar rocks was obtained with some special processing here on Earth, as suggested by Bill Wood, an aerospace engineer. And then I think the vast majority of the hundreds of pounds of moon rocks that we claim to have are made here on Earth They can
3: be irradiated, or exposed to a vacuum, or uh, modified in certain
4: minor ways so that they appear slightly different. In fact, in 2009, it was discovered that a lunar rock donated by the American astronauts to a Dutch museum was actually a piece of petrified wood, a cheap, earthly fake presented to the world as if it were a precious lunar rock. But even if these rocks really came from the moon, they could have been retrieved by an unmanned probe, and not necessarily by humans. Again, the same thing was done by the Soviets, with their unmanned probes Luna 16, 20, and 24. Thus, in no case, regardless of their origin and composition, can the so-called lunar rocks be considered proof that man went to the moon. And one is left to wonder, why would NASA feel the need to state that the lunar rocks prove that we went to the Moon, when they are the first ones to know that this is definitely not the case?
1: You can hear that David and Don's analysis contains details that American Moon does not. The documentary fails to mention the massive difference in quantity between the rocks collected by unmanned probes and those allegedly collected by hand. That door swings both ways, however, as David and Don fail to mention the presence of moon rocks already on Earth, and that at least one of the rocks distributed by NASA has turned out to be fake. That's a true story. The Dutch government was given a rock by the Apollo 11 astronauts, which after spending 40 years in a museum, turned out to be petrified wood. It's certainly a mystery as to how an old piece of wood got mixed up with some of the most expensive stones on Earth. The next point David and Don raise is regarding lunar orbiter photos of the Apollo landing sites. I'll go straight into the corresponding clip from American Moon, and then offer some comments. Another proof of the
4: moon landings, according to the NASA supporters, are the images of the lunar surface sent to the Earth by unmanned probes in recent years. In 2009, the American probe Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter completed a full mapping of the lunar surface, sending back the images of what purportedly are the landing sites of the Apollo missions. Obviously, it's hard to consider these images as an actual proof of the landings, when NASA itself is suspected of having falsified the pictures from six entire missions to the moon back in the 60s. Today, a kid armed with Photoshop could produce images similar to these in no more than half an hour.
1: I think it's fair to say that most moon landing cynics would not accept images provided by NASA as evidence that NASA didn't fake the moon landings. Recognising this, David and Don point out that the Chinese claim to have photographed the Apollo landing sites, although have not made their images public, whilst the Indians have released a photograph of the Apollo 11 site. I find the Indian case, the Chandrayaan-2 lunar orbiter, interesting. It's not mentioned in American Moon. Is this independent verification? David and Don point out that India are not under the control of NASA. I tried to search for a response from the moon hoax community. It proved challenging, as if I googled things like Chandrayaan 2 hoax, all I would get were sites claiming the orbiter had firmly debunked the conspiracy. However, I persevered and found an article by Jara White, an Australian filmmaker with a degree in geology and astrophysics. Jara White contests both the financial and technical independence of the Indian Space Agency, pointing out that India's space research organisation collaborates with NASA, and the American Space Agency might have been the ones receiving the pictures on the ground. Given this working relationship, the image cannot be said to offer independent verification. It does also seem strange to me none of the photos taken by any space agency are a fraction as clear as the ones Google Earth can give you of your own house. Whether by probe or satellite, it seems that for 50 years no one has had any interest in photographing humanity's greatest achievement. Like none. Moving on, the final technical point is that of reflectors. Apollo lunar landers 11, 14, and 15 carried arrays of retroreflectors to the Moon. Scientists back on Earth have verified this by bouncing lasers off them, allowing for accurate measurements of the distance between Earth and Moon to be made. Let's see what American Moon has to say. There is also, according to the debunkers,
4: some physical evidence for the Moon landings, which they claim to be irrefutable. One such piece of evidence is the presence on the Moon of the so-called retro-reflector. This is an object capable of returning a laser beam to Earth, which was allegedly left by the astronauts on the surface of the Moon. According to the Mythbusters, this retroreflector represents irrefutable and conclusive evidence that man went to the Moon.
3: There's time for just one final test, and not just any old test, but the
4: ultimate proof of man's Moon mission. What's this? A reflector. In fact,
1: it's called a retroreflector, made up of many tiny prisms just like this. If there was a retroreflector on the moon, and we knew its exact location, and we had a powerful enough laser, we could detect the reflection and prove there is man-made
2: equipment on the moon. So what you're saying is that uh, we get a really big laser and point it at the reflector on the moon, and if we get a signal back, that means that we were, in fact, there.
4: Precisely. In order to prove their point, the Mythbusters conducted an experiment from the Apache Point Observatory in New Mexico.
2: This thing right here is the Apache Point Observatory, and these guys have the tools that we need to put the final nail in the coffin on the moon landing hoax.
3: That's the location
0: where Apollo 15 landed on the moon.
1: That is so cool.
0: Initiating laser on retroreflector from Apollo 15 and there's a spike beginning to stand out. Is that it? That's the return from Apollo 15. Light returning from the laser retro reflector at exactly the wavelength and distance that we were expecting.
1: But it's really thrilling to watch it happen in, in, right in front of us. Not just thrilling, but conclusive. We shine that laser at the moon on the second test, and we got a clear spike back photons came back to our receptor. Now the only way that that could happen is if there was a piece of man-made equipment up on the moon to reflect them back.
4: It may seem like conclusive evidence, but it is far from that. It's in fact perfectly possible to bounce a laser beam off the lunar surface and detect it on Earth without the aid of any particular instrument. This kind of experiment had already been successfully conducted by the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in 1962, six years before the Apollo missions. From the December 1966 issue of National Geographic, we can read, four years ago, a ruby laser, considerably smaller than those now available, shot a series of pulses at the moon 240,000 miles away. The beams were reflected back to Earth with enough strength to be measured by ultra-sensitive electronic equipment. A similar experiment was replicated by the Soviets one year later. From the New York Times of November 4, 1963, we can read, A concentrated beam of light has been bounced off the moon and detected on Earth by a Soviet observatory in Crimea. The feat duplicates an experiment conducted late last year by engineers of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. It was six whole years before the Apollo missions, and it was already possible to bounce a laser beam off the Moon with no need of a retro reflector. Furthermore, assuming that such an object is actually present on the Moon, this doesn't mean that it was brought up there by astronauts. A retroreflector could have been easily placed on the surface of the moon by an unmanned probe. The Soviets had done exactly the same thing in the same years when they sent retroreflectors to the moon with their unmanned probes, Lunacod 1 and Lunacod 2. In no case, then, can the retroreflector be considered a valid proof in favor of the Apollo missions, let alone a definitive
1: one. David and Don anticipate the objection that lasers can be bounced off the moon's surface without the need for a reflector. This has been done prior to the Apollo missions, but they point out that the precision of measurements vastly increased after the reflector was put in place. Apparently it's now possible to measure the distance between the Earth and the moon to within one centimetre. They do mention, as part of a quote from the University of Texas for Space Research, that unmanned probes have also delivered reflectors to the moon. But they don't seem to consider this to be an issue when asserting their presence there represents proof of man-made landings. Let's now move on to look at some of the philosophical underpinning of the article, and whether it achieves its aims or not. I can't speak so much for what Don Davis wanted the article to achieve, but it's clear to me David Chandler intended for it to be a slam dunk. Anyone who was fair-mindedly fence-sitting on the issue of the landings would be won over to the the we-went-to-the-moon camp. And that's why I said, it completely fails. Now, in fairness, that is a very high bar. If David's aim had been to generate an interesting moon-landing debate within the 9-11 truth movement, so at some future point a consensus view could emerge, well then I'd say the article is really good and achieves its goal. But as an effort to directly take people off the fence... There, I will assert not only is it a failure, it is such an abject failure that not one single person will be moved by it. Indeed, I can prove this. I am prepared to set my own high bar and assert that David and Don will receive exactly zero. Not a hundred, not ten, not one, but zero pieces of correspondence from people informing them their article has freed them from the delusion of moon landing conspiracies. How can I be so confident? simply because all the points David and Don raise are already covered in Moon Hoax literature. Anyone even mildly familiar with the subject will be familiar with them. Why, then, would they be won over by this article? I will just re-stress, I'm not saying it's a bad article. I'm only saying it fails to meet the unrealistically high bar the authors have set for it. No one could reach that bar. I'll now look at what I see as the underpinning philosophy of the article, and where I would suggest a different approach. David and Don's aim is to provide three pieces of evidence that prove men went to the moon, and thereby falsify the moon hoax position. With this being done, they suggest we can all sit comfortably within the moon landing paradigm, viewing any outstanding issues as problems to be solved within that paradigm. The reason I think this is flawed is that it assumes something that doesn't exist. It assumes the existence of a perfectly neutral starting point, from where we can evaluate the evidence, conclude the moon landings happened, then resolve the anomalies. I would suggest that David and Don do not start out in that mythically neutral place. They start out occupying the perspective that the moon landings happened. From that paradigm, the evidence they present seems to be a slam dunk. I'll try and occupy the perspective myself to explain this. Here goes. First, we have hundreds of kilograms of moon rocks. From everything we know, it's impossible to bring this quantity back with probes. Are you seriously suggesting that all these were faked on Earth by a process you don't even know exists, well enough to fool all the scientists who have worked on them since? Do you really think NASA deployed teams to the Antarctic to search moon rocks out? How many men would it take to look for that needle in a haystack? And do you seriously believe NASA has teams of people dedicated to photoshopping flyover images of the landing sites, and that they've infiltrated the Indian Space Agency to do this, while somehow paying off the Chinese and the Russians? Why would they embark on a course of action that would at some stage inevitably lead to them getting caught? They must have known that. And you're suggesting they were also flying preemptive clandestine unmanned missions to the moon to drop off reflector panels at exactly the Apollo landing sites. Do you not think the more parsimonious option is that men just went to the moon? Does that not seem more plausible? And now if I switch over to adopt the moon landing hoaxer perspective, that's your evidence. Seriously. Rocks that come from goodness knows where that can be found on Earth and possibly even created through radiation. Oh, and when we check one out, it turns out to be a piece of old wood. Surprise, surprise. And then some crappy images that anyone even half-decent at Photoshop could produce. Seriously, you think this constitutes evidence? And finally, a reflector, which the Russians were putting on with probes at the same time. On this basis, you want me to drop all concern over the photographic anomalies, the Van Allen radiation belt, The ridiculous excuses why we've never gone back? Really? You expect me to believe a tall tale by the US government because of that? I've tried to convey here that what you see depends on where you're looking from. This is why people talk past each other in these discussions. They are unaware that they are occupying different paradigms, looking out upon different landscapes. I'll give one further example using an issue that really is a slam dunk that decides the whole debate. The problem is that both sides claim it as their slam dunk, resolving the debate in their direction. This is the issue of dust billowing from the back of the lunar rover.
0: And allow us to reveal our trump card, the ultimate evidence that humans did actually walk on the moon and that the entire Apollo program was not in fact faked on a soundstage, the dust. For the Apollo 15, 16, and 17 missions in 1971 and 1972, the astronauts were equipped with the Lunar Roving Vehicle, or LRV, a folding, electrically-powered moon buggy that allowed them to explore a greater area of the lunar surface. Footage of this vehicle driving around on the lunar surface reveals a curious phenomenon. The dust kicked up by the wheels simply falls back in a straight line rather than billowing as it would on Earth, and it also falls far more slowly. This makes sense, as the moon has no atmosphere and air is required for dust to billow lunar gravity is only one sixth as powerful as that on earth meaning that objects accelerate toward the lunar surface at only 1.6 meters per second squared well so what you might be asking how does this prove that humans walked on the moon to understand why consider what it would have taken to fake this footage On a sound stage simulating the motion of particulates like smoke fog and dust is one of the most difficult challenges in movie visual effects so much so that even today's most powerful cgi rendering software struggles to achieve realistic looking results faking the dust would have thus been far beyond the capabilities of analog 1970s visual effects indeed even 2001 a space odyssey whose special effects are often cited by conspiracy theorists as evidence that director stanley kubrick helped fake the moon landings doesn't bother to accurately depict the behavior of dust in a vacuum in an early scene where a spacecraft touches down on the moon the dust billows just as it does on earth thus to achieve a realistic dust effect on Earth NASA would have had no choice but to film a full sized lunar rover or at the very least a remote controlled model in an enormous vacuum chamber a truly monumental undertaking to be fair NASA does operate a large number of vacuum chambers for testing spacecraft prior to launch and the cost of building a vacuum soundstage would have been significantly lower than actually going to the moon but even if NASA had gone to such extraordinary lengths to get the behavior of the lunar dust just right there would still be the problem of gravity while the reduced weight of larger objects like astronauts themselves could theoretically have been simulated using cables and counterweights the slow fall of the lunar dust would have been all but impossible to fake in order to replicate both the effects of vacuum and reduced gravity simultaneously a hypothetical vacuum soundstage would have had to have been mounted in an aircraft such as NASA's infamous KC-135 vomit comet and run through a series of parabolic arcs while the cameras rolled all to achieve a physical effect that most of the general public would not have even noticed.
4: The last set of evidence includes elements that suggest the presence of air on the set of the lunar pictures. As we all know, there is no atmosphere on the moon, which means the astronauts should be moving in a situation of absolute vacuum. There are different elements, however, suggesting that we are in the presence of air instead. One such element is the behavior of the clouds of dust behind the wheels of the rover. If we were in the absence of air, all the sand lifted by the wheels should follow a perfect parabolic trajectory from the moment it leaves the wheel until the moment it falls to the ground. Being that there is no air to slow them down in their path, both the heavier particles of sand and the lighter ones should follow the same parabolic trajectory. On Earth instead, the lighter particles of sand are slowed down by the impact with the air and remain suspended for a few seconds in midair, forming the typical clouds of dust that can be seen behind the car wheels. This phenomenon can be observed in many different situations. Simply kicking up some sand, during a golf game, or during a motocross race. But it is a phenomenon that can also be observed behind the wheels of the lunar rover where instead it should not happen. For example, look at these clouds of dust that remain momentarily suspended in mid-air behind the rover's wheels. As we have said before, without an atmosphere, no cloud should be forming at all. All the sand particles, both the heavier and the lighter ones, should follow the same parabolic arch. This is also confirmed by Clavius. If an atmosphere is dense enough, writes the website, it can hold small particles suspended against gravity for a short time. None of that would happen on the Moon, because there's nothing to keep the dust particles suspended. And yet, small clouds of dust form repeatedly behind the rover's wheels, and briefly remain suspended in mid-air before falling to the ground. All of this should not happen if we were actually on the Moon, where no atmosphere is present.
1: What you've just heard there is two separate people looking at the same film footage of the lunar rover kicking up dust and coming to completely opposite conclusions about it, that it either conclusively proves or disproves that men went to the moon. You'd think it would be simple, but as both the presence of air and a weaker gravitational field could account for the dust's slow descent, the pre-selected paradigm steps in to inform what is being seen. I'm not at all suggesting that we are prisoners to these paradigms, seeing only what our unconscious biases allow us to. Far from it. We can move between them to see from a multitude of different perspectives. I actually feel confident that the question of the moon landings could be resolved in a manner that most people, absent technical expertise, could follow. I would suggest the way to do this would not be an effort to land one good decisive blow against the opposing team, but rather to take the advice of the Greek philosopher Protagoras and make the weaker argument the stronger, thereby advancing the motion of the whole. When both sides of the argument are made into their strongest versions, one may start to show serious cracks. Perhaps it will be revealed that some of the photos really could only have been taken in a studio, or perhaps there are some that could only come from the moon. Maybe we will have to learn to tolerate a certain level of ambiguity. Or, with a little bit of elbow grease and good luck, maybe we can come firmly down on one side, even if it's not the side we really wanted to land on. As I come to a conclusion, I'd just like to thank David and Don for caring about the issue of excessive conspiracizing. I agree with their sentiments, if not entirely their method. I also think the particular issue is important. If I do a follow-up episode, I may attempt to lay out what I see as the best questions for both sides to be asking. I would love to firmly know, crazy as it sounds, that men really did walk on the moon. Alternatively, if this was all a piece of imperial propaganda, maybe it's the piece that will bring the empire tumbling down. Now wouldn't that be something? Thank you for listening. In addition to the issue, I'm obviously advancing a particular philosophical approach here, If that's something you find valuable and interesting, you can support the production of further content and get access to an online forum and Zoom groups through the link in the info box. I've also linked there to sources I've drawn on in producing this episode, both for and against the lunar landing.
0: But it wouldn't be make-believe If you believe in me Without your love It's a honky-tonk parade Without your love It's a melody played in a penny arcade It's a Barnum and Bailey world just as phony as it can be, but it wouldn't be a make-believe if you believed in
3: me.
2: Says only a paper
3: moon,
2: sailing over a cardboard sea,
3: but it wouldn't
2: be make-believe if you